Hey, good afternoon. Good, 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 good afternoon. They speak funny. Yeah. That's just in case Sher gets out of hand, he's going to restore some law and order. In case Mandel runs back in here. I'll stand screaming and going crazy. Just a ward of the invaders. <laughs> okay, gentlemen, I'd like to uh, discuss a, a few things today. One of the things I'd like to discuss is it's, um, So I want to talk about an interesting approach, which I think there's, there's we've discussed many times before. Certainly, some of you in in our in our in our in our shear, we've discussed the idea of, um, and I think it's very important for the way we relate to ourselves and we relate to progress. Is different. Two primary, for want of better words levels of reality. There's the visible sensory reality that we process through our senses, hearing, smelling, touching, feeling. And there's a conceptual reality. Before we even go into the spiritual reality, we can speak we can speak a little bit about the conceptual reality. And generally the feeling is that the higher you go in terms of concept, if you even border on the spiritual world world the more ethereal the, the the less solid that world becomes that idea becomes um, as a result if I would ask you and say to you well let's look at this this table in front of us and I would say to you gentlemen what is more solid which has a greater substantive being the table or perhaps the idea of the table. Which is stronger? Spinner? The table. The table is stronger. The table is strong. You can feel it. You can touch it. Now what I'm going to do is, you don't realize, over here I've got this massive chainsaw. And I saw this, cha I saw this table to pieces until I absolutely destroy it. Then I take it outside and I burn it in the fire. It's gone. What happened to my table? You destroyed it. Where's the idea of the table? Still alive and well can generate another thousand tables, a trillion tables. Because in essence, the idea is stronger than the table. Because the idea can generate a brilliant tables, which, and you can't destroy that idea. Even if the person dies, that idea can outlive him, as it has. I don't know if this carpet is still alive. <laughs> I hope not. But, you follow? Yeah. Okay, so therefore, when we actually, it's kind of intuitive, but when you measure the strength, of this physical world versus the conceptual world, the conceptual world has a strength which means it's not bound by the limitations of time and space. Now, for Jewish ethical development, 
making that distinction is a crucial step because when we look at ourselves, we want to look at the both dimensions of ourselves. Of course, we want to look at the physical dimension of ourselves, how our body presents itself in a physical sense, but you'd also like to lift it up to the conceptual level. So, for example, if we speak about eyes, even though they are located just below our eyebrows, on either side of our face, on either side of our nose, above the mouth, we'd speak about eyes, but we'd like to speak about the eyes of the eyes, the conceptual eye. So what I'd like to speak to you a little bit about today is the conceptual tongue. And see how its location in the body, its form, the way it relates to the rest of the body, on a conceptual basis that bears, relevant, bears relevance to who we are and how we develop ourselves. And I'm going to quote from a, uh, a particular Gemara which says the following thing. Amar it's a statement in the Gemara which says, quoting a rabbi, a sage, whose name was Rabbi Yochanan, Mishum Rabbi Yosef ben Zimra, and he learned this lesson from his teacher, Rabbi Yosef ben Zimra. My dichtiv, he begins by explaining a verse. Ma'yitein l'cha, ma'yosef l'cha, loshon remia. What will he give to you? And what will he add to you? A deceitful tongue. Amar kodesh bochul l'loshon. It's almost if the explanation of the verse presents a dialogue between God Hashem and the tongue and it's as if the Hashem says to the tongue all the limbs of a man are upright and you are lying down all man's limbs are external and you are inside and not only that, she I surrounded you with two walls. one of bone, one of flesh. What else can I give to you? And what else can I add to you, Lashon Ramia? It's almost as if there's a presentation where the Creator enters into a strange dialogue with the tongue. He says, "Tongue, look at you." He says, I've tried to set up the situation that you are lying down, <laughs> internal, and boxed in by two walls. And yet you still seek to escape and wreak havoc. So, the question is as follows. Let's look at those, all those aspects and let's discuss their symbolic connotations. And then let's think about what speech is all about. But there's some fascinating points that the location and the form of the tongue can have in terms of its metaphorical, in terms of the meaning behind it. Judaism takes the act of speech and makes it the defining component of man. If you think about the different levels of, of, of you can create a hierarchy, I'll pick four random ones, of existence in this world. You can start off with inanimate objects, stones, things which don't move. You can go on to plant life, that's a higher level of life, you can extend that to animal life, and then you can hit human life. When you hit human life, Herbert's, what's the most apt way of describing man? You describe inanimate, plant life, animal life, and then you get to man. What, what, what word would capture the essence of man more than any other? Herbert's. As a difference to the others? <coughs> to distinguish and to accentuate, sorry? Choice. One would think that choice. You call man in that hierarchy a chooser. Certainly. 
What's interesting is that in the words of the sages, they don't use that term as a chooser, instead they use speaker. They define man by speech. Speaking means that's the defined, but why speaking? Why speaking? What's so, so of course you can understand that essentially man is a social animal. And most of our interactions and most of the life we live is lived through the connectivity of speech. And that's why our world has changed so dramatically with the communication revolution. Because we function on speech and speech changes, it molds the world we see. We essentially are, we, we get, we, we process the world through the words we hear and the words we say. We create and we absorb and we establish function structures based on the discussions we have. So the word, the word becomes the most potent description of reality. Essentially man through his words makes or breaks what the world is. It's almost as if the world is dumb in as much as it can't speak. The world can't speak. We give words to the world. The world is a picture without a caption. When we describe it, when we put the world into words, that's when we make the world happen. Imagine you have a picture and there's a man with his arm extended above his head and his arm is extended above his head, J.B. Or mine is. And fist clenched now it depends what caption are you going to give this picture one caption you could give it strength, strength you could say man demonstrates strength another victory, victory another is sleeve slave sleeve oh okay <laughs> you could say that it's a person proclaiming freedom or you say someone is about to strike someone it could be two contrary things it could be an expression of liberation or expression of domination. It depends on the caption. The world is ambiguous. The words we give to the world makes or breaks what the world is. You follow? So words essentially are the most potent creative things that we have in our possession. There's nothing more powerful than the words. Let's be get back to our tongue. So the Gemara says as follows. The Gemara <laughs> says that the tongue, the tongue, Rebbe Oh God, awkward. Thanks. The tongue, it's great, I need to stand. The Gemara introduces a dialogue between God and the tongue. God says to the tongue, Tongue, what can I do for you? Oh, deceitful tongue. I've made you horizontal. I've put you internally. I've surrounded you by a wall of bone and a wall of flesh. What more could I do to stop you from spreading out? So the, the Maral explains that there's two all the other limbs are upright, meaning upright symbolically means, conceptually upright means with ability to move rapidly. When a person's lying down, it's an expression of his stationary existence. He doesn't have a potential to move. In order to, when you're lying down, many of you would like to be doing that right now. Flat out on your backs. But when you're lying down, put out the old get the air into the room the old freeze them to death theory so when you're lying down it's a demonstration of inactivity passivity so the tongue is, is made in such a way that's horizontal to show restriction inactivity all the other physical limbs your limbs are external your hands your ears your nose 
your legs, your feet. The tongue is a limb, but it's internal. You can't see it. It's inside your mouth. It's hidden. Every other limb can go and do what it needs to do. The tongue, mm. boundary number one, teeth. Mm. Boundary number two, mm. lips. So now, when you look at the structure of the tongue, its format, from a philosophical basis, you see this direction of design. The direction of design is create the tongue in such a situation that its movement is intuitively restricted. It's not out there ready to pounce. It's put behind doors, it's left resting, and then the hope is it won't escape. <coughs> this is a symbolic demonstration of where the essence of man lies is in his capacity to control his speech. Austin. Why then would animals also have that same structure for their tongue? It's interesting because sometimes it depends on the animal. It's interesting how, how animals, how animals, some animals sweat through their tongues right. and they leave them hanging. So I haven't gone into, into animal tongues, but uh, it's a nice, it's a nice thing to study. Jay. Is there any symbolism in like the female genitalia in that respect as well? Oh, this is getting rather risque. Um, <laughs> 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 I don't know, like to not escape and well, it's internal. Th there's a lot of, I mean, as close to the male. <laughs> I mean, not, not, not necessarily. <laughs> he, he did. He went there, JB. Yeah, we didn't think he's going to go there. He went. I'm no. not. I'm just like. What? No, it's, it's okay, it's okay. We, we have quite a frank and open relationship in this year. Even if we didn't have before, we certainly do now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it's that. that no, the truth is there's, 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 a, there's, a of, there's a lot of discussion within the symbolism of the male and female organs and why the female organ is internal and the male organ is external. And um, the... Just to give you, as a smaller side, which we won't delve too deeply into it, but the way female and male forces are described in Jewish theology is the complementary forces of what's called form and <coughs> form and matter. The most basic analogy is to that of a potter with clay. The clay is the matter, and the potter has in his mind's eye the form. The clay becomes a receptacle for the form. The clay isn't the form. The clay carries the form. And in a successful relationship between form <coughs> and matter, the form that's envisioned becomes manifest in the, in, 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 in the matter. I think of a pot in my head. I take some clay and I make that pot and gosh, there's a pot. So that means that what ha what's happened is the form has found expression through matter. Are you following me? You're giving me that, like, I don't know what you're talking about, look. Okay, so, so form and matter is a relation between the, the male and female components. The male component is form, the female, female component is matter. In, in, the, in putting it across a phys physiological level, in the birth of a child, the man gives, let's say, the seed, which is the form of the child, but it's completely, it completely needs something to bring it into reality. It's the, the difference between an idea, a seed, but that seed has nothing to catch it. It needs to enter into, it needs to fertilize an egg, enter into a womb, to be built into a viable child. So the female component is the one that gives the form, <coughs> that develops, 
essentially that dichotomy or that diversity <coughs> between form and matter is a relationship between giver and receiver. The female is the receiver and the male is the giver. In that relationship, the receiving form is always a hollow vessel. The receiving form it needs to be open to get things inside of it. It needs to contain. Something which doesn't have a place to contain is not considered a receptacle. So since the relationship between male and female is a relationship of giver and receiver, so the female is built to receive and the male is built to give. That, that, that goes into, into... And therefore only as a unity, that's why in Judaism there's no notion of man or woman existing independently. Because clearly they can only be whole when they're fused. Because each one has only got half a being. So that's why the notion of marriage is the reuniting of two split souls that come together and then they can be full. But independently, neither can achieve a purpose. Okay? My purpose is to procreate. Well, on a basic level, procreate. On a philosophical level, to be entire, whole. It means that just like you can't have a child by yourself, you can't really have a life by yourself. I mean, that's a bit harsh, but it's true. <laughs> Good? Okay. No, that's a great answer, but as far as the symbolism used in the, with the tongue, the, there's, you're, you're saying there's no equal symbolism. Well, the, the, the truth is, if you would go into it, if you would go into it, if you, if you look at the different, if you look at the different limbs of the body, the two limbs which are, which are parallel, if you look at the, this right hand, left hand, so there's a duality. There's a right part of my being and the left part of my being. There's a right leg and a left leg. Right? The, there's a right eye and a left eye. There's even a right and left nostril. There are two limbs, organs, that only have a singular purpose. The tongue and the male organ. And they're aligned in the body. One is on the upper part of the being and one is on the lower part of the being. Because the truth is, both <laughs> the tongue and the male organ are fruit-producing organs. Just like the organ, through that you multiply, you bring new things into the world, through your tongue you multiply, you bring things to the world. And actually the relationship between speaker and listener is the relationship between husband and wife. Because when you speak, so the, the, the listener is now the female <coughs> who can receive the words and then act on them, build them into a child. <coughs> and the speaker is the male that he gives over that seed, which seeds the mind of the listener until the listener can act upon it. So actually the process of, the, the process of speaking can be a very intimate act. And that's actually why the word Navi in Hebrew, which means prophet, corresponds to the word Tnuva, which means produce, because the, the mouth is as much of a producer as the very productive organ. And interestingly enough, that's why the mystics say that if a person wants to become morally controlled, he should watch what he says. <laughs> because there's also a, there's a symbiotic connection between the two. And when you do one, you're doing the other as well. So there's, when a person guards his words, he's guarding his potential to spread out in the wrong direction which is promiscuity. But maybe I got too carried away there. Dodgy. Okay. So let's go back to, uh, go back to the tongue itself. So the tongue itself, it's got this potential, which, which means it's the potential to create. 
the creative act of a tongue is the dynamic relationship between speaker and listener and when I seed your mind through my words and that seed then develops into something so that can be good or bad that can be good or bad so for example were I to seed your mind with something negative and harmful about someone else I've just what I've done is I've created something very negative in the world that thing didn't have to be there had I enclosed my mouth behind its boundaries of teeth and lips so then this thing never would have evolved but through my opening up and allowing the tongue to escape I cause something to occur which is negative and hence the presentation of the tongue is of course it doesn't mean that there's really a dialogue between God and the tongue what it means is by us having a different perspective of our anatomy we develop a different kind of vigilance in relation to what speech is all about in other words let me spell out but when we look at ourselves and we think to ourselves wow my tongue is inside my mouth wow my tongue is behind my teeth and lips wow my tongue is horizontal it's because I have to watch my words it's almost as if we use the physical structure of our body as a moral lesson of self-development no that didn't get across not so much do you really need three Simone to tell you to watch your words yes in other words that demonstrates the propensity how (coughs) easy it is for us to let go of our tongues a loose tongue (coughs) we need to have kind of even in 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 the way we are built a built-in reminder watch your words words are power words are what make or break the world and then you see another interesting dimension about the location of the tongue what actually the words are are the movement from the internal idea to the external expression in other words the tongue is the bridge between the inner and outer worlds and that's why the tongue can be revealed or can be internal because it's that bridge and even your lips the, the skin on your lips is different to the skin on the rest of your body but the same skin that's on the outside of your lips is the skin that's on the inside of your lips because it's also the transition point so the transition point in other words where the thoughts become into reality it all happens through your mouth so there's two components there's this connection this procreation that happens through the course of speech and there's also this transferal from the higher world into this world through speech in other words speech is the act of in a sense intimacy and it's quite interesting because the Gemara refers in a in a in a euphemistic term to relations between husband and wife as speech she spoke with him doesn't mean she spoke with him means she cohabited with him because that's what speech is about so now the question is like this so, so, so okay great great what do we do what do we do about the way we speak and what we speak and how we speak and when we speak and what we speak about you want to ask something you want to say there's an interesting another interesting Gemara which puts across the following idea it puts across the idea of the way growth occurs and it designs growth as the same as the Hebrew letter He the way the Hebrew letter He is designed is it has 
it's an upside down L, upside down L, um, with a foot which is removed from the roof. So um, essentially, if this is the roof of the hay, and this is the body of the hay, and there's another leg over there parallel to my feet. Yes? Hey. For those of you who can see. Hey. So the Gemara says like this. This world is designed, is made with the hay. And the Gemara explains, again, it's a visual allusion to the nature of the pull of this world. The pull of this world is, it's very strong, the pull to speak carelessly, to indulge in physical desire is a powerful pull that exists its strength over all of us. It's almost as if there's no bottom to contain us. So it says, a person that falls through the bottom, what should he do? So he's fallen through the bottom. An analogy to getting sucked into this world and going in a place where you don't want to go. He says, he should come back. So how should he come back? So normally one would think he should just go back where he came from. The Gemara says, he can only come back through the top. Through the top through the top. He can't go back the same way he came. If that sounds a little bit abstract, I'd like to bring it down. When a person falls in a particular direction, you can't retrace your steps. You can't undo what you've done by simply wanting to be better. Let's say, for example, a person feels that his tongue, his tongue has been too loose and he said things which have been harmful and he doesn't have the ability to control it when he does. So he makes the resolution and he says, you know what? I'm not going to speak those words anymore. The chances are the resolution will fall flat on its face. Because nothing has changed internally. In order to move forward, you have to move upwards. You have to go in through the entrance at the top. Which means that you have to find a new dimension in speech which inspires you to speak differently. You can't just stop. The realization that something is negative doesn't help. You have to find a positive component which inspires you to move beyond it. So if we're speaking about self-development in this class, which we are, for me to tell you, you know, you all know speech is harmful. You all know that there's been times when you shouldn't have said words and because you said them, things have gone somewhat awry. But that doesn't stop us. What we have to do is we have to, hire, we have to find a higher dimension of speech. Perhaps through understanding your tongue and connecting to your teeth in a different way, not just the fact that you need to brush them and floss them, but they can actually act as a barrier. And your lips, not that they only are fluffy and they need lip lining in this weather, but that they can actually restrict. You look at them in a different manner and then all of a sudden you start to think, wow, my tongue has power. You start to develop a different relationship to a different part of your being. And in doing so, you think about life in a different way and then you can start to act differently. But until you've thought about life differently, before you've seen a different dimension, so then it just becomes, I'm not going to do that. Oh my gosh, I'm doing it again. I'm not going to do that. Oh my gosh, I'm doing it again. You have to introduce a new dimension which wasn't there before. And then you can move forward. So that's a fascinating thing about how the Gemara goes ahead and says the following thing, even more. It says that, there are many reasons for bad things uh, occurring, but one of the central focuses of Jewish life used to be the, the place or the temple. And it was destroyed, and obviously it wasn't destroyed because of a, a random historical event. It's looked upon as a reflection of the state of the Jewish people. What were they doing wrong? <coughs> the Gemara says they were speaking badly about each other. Moving to the symbolic. The house, the temple is called the house of, of the Jewish people. 
a house can only exist when each brick is connected to the brick on top of it and next to it. The most powerful interrupting factor between people and the most powerful connecting factor are words. When words are used properly, you can bring two people together like nothing else can. When you use words are used improperly, you can destroy relationships like nothing else. When you speak properly, you recreate the collective unity of the community of Israel. When you speak badly, you shatter it. The Gemara says the shattering of the temple was a description of what people were saying. They broke the house. They broke the house down. So I think that's something to ponder when we speak and when we think about what we speak to develop a sense of connection through our words and not distraction. Think about how we can bring things together and not how we can rip them apart. And when that pull, and it does come, the pull comes to say those words and you know they're going to be harmful. Remember, teeth, lips, hold yourself back. Thank you, gentlemen.